It sounds like you're talking about my painting already, so... Bumps and lumps, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, mate, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll, we'll crack on. I'll, I'll get you introduced and we'll, we'll get going. Um, I've, got your, I've got your blog up in front of me, just so I can reference <laughs> one or two bits of pieces. Okay, uh, welcome back then. This is episode 39 of God's Own Scale podcast, and I've got a very special guest. I say this every time. That I've got a very special guest, but this is a very special guest because it's somebody that I think most people within the wargaming hobby, certainly in the UK and worldwide, actually, will have uh, somebody who, who will be um, well known to you. Um, but through his uh, nom de plume, let's let's say that uh, through his website. But I've got the Mad Axman, Mr. Tim Porter, with me. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? It's like it's 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 weird to be on someone else's podcast it's weird to get any form of compliment really um <laughs> start like that way let's get you know, on a great footing I'm, I'm loving it already can we stop now it was great to talk to you and uh, we'll see you next week but uh, you, you, you've been around the block a, a little bit tim haven't you we were just talking in the pre-ramble there that mad axman uh the the website has been going for some time yeah, it, it actually, um, you know, I wish there was like a really clever strategic origin story or something like that. But but it's it goes all the way back to 1999, um, which is ancient history, you know, beyond ancient history. And it's so old. it's one of these things you say this out loud and it makes nonsense. It sounds like nonsense these days. But at the time I was um, I. I worked in trade shows for all my life and um, I was the only person in the company I worked for in about 1998, 1999 who had external email because external, because external email wasn't a thing really back that go. So I had um, a little modem on my desk at work. Uh, you know, we, it's kind of a cold calling tele sales job really with, with extra um, bells and whistles. But, um, but so I was working on a, an IT show and my clients had email because they were the IT industry. So so the, um, the, the IT department, which was, I think, giving us word perfect on, a, on um, some sort of network. Uh, Microsoft didn't even really exist. And they gave me a little modem, a little bleepy thing connected to a phone line so I could send and receive emails. And uh, I, I literally the only person in, in the company with it. And then, obviously, the world moved on. But this um, account for um, the, my email account that I was using for work, I kind of inherited it personally because they, the company didn't went a little bit beyond having a dial-up account. You know, it's like 2,000 people worldwide or something, and, and it started to work. And it, it came with some um, web space. Now, because I was working on an IT show, the show needed a website and websites didn't really exist then as such either so so we ended up um i think it was the first person in the company to have email and the first exhibition to have its own website and we ended up getting it designed and built by um a bloke who was the boyfriend of the it support girl um so you ring up it support and and she was known in the company as june speaking because she'd pick up the phone she'd go Hello, IT support, June speaking. Um, and, um, and, 
I mean, like, we need to get a website. There's no way of getting this done. These there weren't companies that did it, or you know, all these whatever they whatever you call them these days. So she said, my boyfriend can do this. He, he's a computery geek bloke. So a chap called Aaron built a website, and I was sat there with this account and a bit of web space, and I was like, going, we're paying this bloke to do it. I wonder. I just want to dabble a little bit at it. Obviously not to do it properly, but just so I understand what I'm paying him to do. Um, so I started just putting up some very basic HTML pages um, just to see how it works so that I could actually have a vaguely intelligent conversation with this supplier about what we were doing. And, and then it just kind of kept aggregating and I kept sort of sticking different bits onto it and, and adding more content. And, and I think at some point, you know, like like I'm sure you're doing with the podcast, there becomes a point at which that becomes a hobby in itself, um, and which is great because it's actually another thing to do. But it ties into the the gaming, and and you start to get feedback, and then you get into this thing of going, well, I've got to kind of leave it there because search engine and people finding it, you know, you you can't throw it all out and then start again or whatever. So you you just keep building building different bits on it and. From a from a geeky technical point of view, I had a big. I think I probably had about two or three fairly major bits of work that I did behind the scenes to to add bits to it and, and reformat it. But oh, I can't even remember when. A, a number of years ago, I moved it from HTML to PHP, which I don't really understand what this is. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm in the go into Google find chunks of code for, that people have posted and then cut and paste them into my site and, and it, see if it works. There's no actual genuine understanding here. I, you know, I'm kind of like that dog on um, That's Life who says sausages. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not, a, there's nothing particularly clever happening, but, but PHP allowed me to start doing, um, really to sort of add it a lot more to it because, you can combine different page elements and repeat them. So if you look at Mad Axman, the bit across the top, um, which is dreadfully badly designed and uh, any graphic artist would recoil in horror, um, that appears on every single page. And if I want to change that, I only have to change it once. And that was like rocket science to me. So um, and then, then there's all sorts of other bits. There's the, there's the photo galleries and there's the wikis and they're all just bits of, software which are out there and they're all free and and i just started you know out bolting a few of those and playing with them and um and then it, it's just just by existing for so long it just seeps into the the collective consciousness and there's a few you know key bits that that people are mentioning about the lists of uh, <laughs> the list of manufacturers for different scales when i get into a scale i'll try and chuck up all the lists of manufacturers there and, and I can keep that updated, but that's all sort of modular as well. That That's relatively easy to update. Um, and just, my God, I've got loads of figures. I'll take bucket loads of photos of them because people who play toy soldiers like pictures of toy soldiers. Yeah. Um, so you do. Yeah. So there's, there's just, and 20 years later or 22 years later, as we are 21, 22 years later, there's just this big pile of rubbish that, um, <laughs> that people can kind of throw it away in and, and search through. And occasionally I update the index pages to try and remember all the pages that are there. Um, and and it, yeah, but it, it just is like a big jumble set, really. So 
The first question that I've been asked to ask you, Tim, and uh, we're going to go into your hobby bi- biography shortly, but why Mad Axman? Yeah, well, I, I, I was trying to work up this really great story about my maternal grandmother being, you know, a Viking react, reenactor and growing up in the middle of Sweden, but, but that's all nonsense, really. <laughs> You'd have had me convinced, mate, if you'd said that. Yeah, I, I could have been going for hours. Um, yeah, around a Viking, um, you know, all the rest. No, um, literally, it was, what can I think of that is a, um, a domain name that hasn't been taken? In, and I just typed a few things in, and I have no idea where it came from, but it was just like Mad Axman. I don't know. And that wasn't taken as a .com. And um, so I managed to, to get that as a .com, and I've got it as a Twitter handle and a couple of other things. So it's just literally what wasn't taken. Have you ever had any um, contact from the authorities just regarding the name of this and any potential, <laughs> you know, nefarious, nefarious uh, contacts? Well, it's um, uh, yeah, but that's for other reasons, really. But yes. um, I, I, <laughs> another podcast, <laughs> yeah, another podcast. Yeah, but no, I, I, you know, I've got a couple of different email addresses, and suddenly you kind of think. Which one should I be sending to this particular person? You know, if you're booking restaurants or something like that with it, you, I tend to use a different one. Um, but but from the soldiers thing, although it, it's astonishing, we saw um, went to Selwig today, and coming out there's a guy from our club, uh, Jevon, who um, been playing for years, and then he he said, I saw him on the way out, and he said, oh, I guess by the way, I've just discovered Mad Axman. We were just like Dave. We're just looking. I'm going. You what? And I'm not. I'm not quite bigging myself up here, really. But I was just like, really. <laughs> it was like you've known me for ten years. He'd never come across it. And I go, have you what? <laughs> How did that work? So it was him. He's the only one in the UK. He's the yeah. only one. Yeah, the only one here around the world. Yeah. Yeah. So you've captured the whole. Of the wargaming audience now. Yeah, it's now 100. percent Yeah, it's 100% now 100 coverage. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, let, let's um, let's go back before we go forward. Then, Tim, I like doing that. Let's let's just go back in in into your dim and distant past. Um, and, and how on earth did you get into this odd hobby that we call wargaming? No, well, it's you know, it's epic soldiers, isn't it? You know that that's it. And I think back. Back when I was a wee lad, me and my um, brother and, and I guess some of our mates, we all had buckets and buckets of FX soldiers. And you start by making kits and then you buy the soldiers, the little 172nd scale plastic stuff. Then you get to painting them. And I think by the end of it, we, me and my brother ended up um, you know, the most basic rules in the world. I think, you know, a, a rifle shot 18 inches and it was a nine inches was close range. And, and we, because we'd sort of grown out of all our Lego, suddenly we got all the Lego back out and started building houses. And it was like, you know, enormous six by four bits of urban warfare with um, with with probably weirdly lurid colours that the, the US Marine Corps would fight their way around with the most eclectic range of vehicles. And, um, you know, you got into that kind of arms race thing of whatever you could buy and paint, you could then use in your army. And you know, I suppose what now would be called imaginations, um, you know, and, and you know, you'd find. I think I had, and you'd end up making sort of special rules. So, 
clearly you buy airfix soldiers you buy the packets of gurkhas and the british and all the rest of it but somehow i must have picked up from or somebody must have given us just some really old odd figures so i ended up with just trying to think about this i think there were about four or five of the the arabs the foreign legion arabs which i don't think they were making for quite a while and then there was one medieval knight in plate armor with a sword so um you know we were I don't like have these three or four. So these would be like the elite troops. So I painted the, the four or five ones up as Fremen from the front of Frank Herbert's Dune. So it was like, and I persuaded my brother that the fact they were Fremen meant that they could get like plus two in combat or something. <laughs> and he was younger than me, so he had to say yes. And uh, that was it. And the medieval knight, you know, that got defensive role of plus two because it doesn't matter if you're a Gurkha with a Kukri. This bloke's in plate armour and he's the only one there is. So uh, so he used to just sort of wade his way through, um, you know, the, the legions of whatever plastic um, plastic soldiers and tanks he'd do because people were just bouncing off him because I'd kind of made up the rules and um, strong arm my, um, my three, three years younger than me brother into, um, into believing this nonsense. So, yeah, so from, from there... Um, then at school we had a wargaming club or something and we had a history teacher who brought out um some 28 mil because it was all well, 25 mil i guess it was at the time yeah it would be, um, yeah. It would be 25 mil stuff and a number of us got into doing that so i had a and it was oh, was it hinchcliffe there was a hinchcliffe retailer in the next town in um this is sort of in south lincolnshire i think they're in were they in Bourne or something weird like that um and you got those hinchcliffe figures in the little blue square boxes that were like the bigger the bigger versions of the perry stuff these days um so you got some uh, and i had um a 25 mil ancient indian army that um <coughs> that and again, I think I still remember someone turning up with 15 mil figures and we went, whoa, what is this yeah, witchcraft? But, um, how can you paint anything that small? How can you paint anything that small? What's the point? And it, this was in the days just at the tail end of WRG sort of sixth, I think, fifth or sixth. Um, and so the Indians were in, in all those WRG books that people would have had. It was basically 100 longbowmen and six elephants and some rubbish. And um, uh, that was that was the gist of it. And the longbow would line up, and you'd try and roll the terrain to get. Um, they were one foot by eighteen inch square marshes, and you try and get four of them down in front of the longbowman, and hope that your opponent was so stupid they just advance at quarter speed towards you while you shredded them, um, and then you then you cut them to pieces with a handed cutting weapon. But um, well, an agile core scenario then. That's basically the entire strategy. Although, though after that, um, moving on from um, the Hinchcliffe stuff, I then binned off all the Hinchcliffe figures and bought a load of lambing ones, which were really cute. I think um, I think someone started remaking them now, and um, <coughs> did a proper proper paint job on or better paint job on them, even though they're all monopose. So a hundred of these monopose bowmen, uh, <laughs> they're about you know, they were literally about three four foot across when you deployed them all, and one i remember one year um i suddenly i must have seen it in miniature no not miniature because it was probably military modeling at the time or something i went bloody hell i haven't painted eyes on them so i tried to paint eyes on all 100 of them when i was like you know 18 or something and um and it looked bloody ridiculous it looked like they'd been hit by a, a volley of fried eggs it was just <laughs> because 
because because I was only you know I, I I didn't really know what I was doing and there was no internet. I not I'd not painted eyebrows on the buggers, um, and that is the secret to eyes. If you just paint a white splodge with a black dot in it, it does look like they've been hit by fried eggs. So, so they lived. They it's about. I think I, I lived with it for about a year. Then I just painted all the eyes out, and then about two years later, I found out the eyebrow technique, and was like, oh, got to do them all again. Um, yeah. So, um, so I did that. That. Um, then I went away to to uni and um, the, uh, Loughborough and the the wargaming club there were playing. What, they're trying to think they were playing some other bits of pieces. They were trying to play Shock of Impact because oh my goodness, um, oh my god, that game is probably still going on, is it? I think it probably. Is. I think you know there was that there is that thing amongst wargamers, isn't it? It's like there's this thing that works that's really popular, and then so we'll just pit, be bloody minded and pick something to prove and do something like, else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like, oh, shock. But then seventh came out, which was, was I think one of the first times there was like a, you could suddenly see rules writing. Okay. You know, seventh had problems down the line, but as a um, going, right, we've actually ripped up the, the normal bottom up way of building rules. And, you know, we're casualty charts and this weapon's better than this. Okay. Right. We've got March moves and we've got, we're not doing base removal or single figure removal. You know, it, it, somebody had suddenly started to abstract this. And it was like, that was almost that first feeling of, my God, there's rules design to try and achieve something rather than, you know, sixth edition or whatever, or fifth, fourth, whatever. You could kind of have made that up yourself if you look back at it. No, no disrespect to the other people, but but the mechanics weren't quite so clever. Um, and in seventh, you're going, wow, that's left field. And um so seventh was a big, big thing for a while. Um, and I moved after college, moved down to London and I was starting to collect 15 mil and, and found central London, um, war games club, which I still, um, go to, which is a, a, a fabulous institution. And, um, but no, central London is great because we're not really a club. Um, we're kind of sort of an arc anarcho syndicalist whatever you know something like that because we don't have a committee we don't have rules we don't have a subscription we just we're just people who meet in a pub and um and we do it on a you know monday night and a thursday night and every now and then someone will come along and go oh we should you know save up some money for something or we should have a committee and we're all like i think you're leaving um you know, <laughs> it's just like, we're just going to freeze you out we're not having any of that nonsense and um and it's been going for, for 20, 30 years, you know, and nowadays we just moved to different pubs. I think we've around North London, we're currently in a pub in Mornington Crescent, but we've had some interesting ones. There was one um, one time, because the Mornington Crescent pub, I think, um, had a you know, new landlord. They kicked us out for a while and we ended up in this place called the, the Cock Tavern, um, just around the back of King's Cross. Now, the first night we were going there, um, we couldn't get in because... Um, the police had tape round it because someone had been stabbed, um, which was lovely. And, um, and and we were playing in this sort of back room that um, uh, I think it it basically had Irish labourers living in it um, or sleeping in it when under the tables while we were playing, um, which is a bit weird. And then one time we we got there and half the room, so it's imagine it's sort of a, a longish room, and, and one end of it. Every single thing in it had been painted blue. Walls, ceiling, 
light fixtures, the sofa that Irish labourers slept on, half of that had been painted blue. So it's just one end of the room just had been completely painted blue because someone had been filming a green screen porn movie up there. Um, so, so, you know, if your dice fell on the floor, you were very careful about how, you know, what you were scrabbling around for to pick them up. It was a, that, that was interesting. And then a, a few other, other different places, but, and, but we've been in, um, you do have a motto though. Oh yes, absolutely. Just it smacks of incompetence. Um, you know, cause we're, cause you know, we'll, I think we'll talk about this later, but there's a, a, you know, the competition thing. We've always been a going away to competition sort of club. Um, and it's, you know, it's the jolly boys outing, um, once a month somewhere around the, the UK or Europe or, or further afield. Um, but, but really, you know, you're going there to hope that someone else in your club makes a dreadful mistake and you'll never let them forget it for um, the rest of their lives, really. So, um, so you know, it, it smacks of incompetence. We're looking for someone to, to make a mistake and then, then just remind them about it forever. Um, Remorselessly, yeah. Yeah, we, we even had a, um, a club, tea, well, occasionally we get club T-shirts, which is about as organised as we get. And one time, one of the guys at the club was just sort of, his hobby was obscure foreign languages and um, so he translated this into about 15 different languages but but not because he was just good at this it wasn't just a literal translation you know word for word he, he actually got some sort of metaphor so i think one of them i think it was the lithuanian one if you translated it back it said you have about your person the stench of incompetence um, which was like so yeah, so there's a good good bit of banter on um, on that sort of thing. So so yeah, and, and I think you know it's, it's got as you'll see on the website. There's all sorts of odds and sods that go beyond just the ancients. I think ancients is is always the heart of it because there's so much in it, and there's so much to to do, and there's so much depth and, and complexity. You know, you you almost can't run out of armies to to start or collect. But you know, everything from dabbling a bit of World War Two to little spaceships to um i you know i played malifaux as a sort of very clever skirmish game um recently for a while just to to try and paint different figures and, and all, all sorts of other things renaissance I, I, if i looked look around in the um the messy room where i'm at um, you can see all sorts of different rule sets and things like that but but it's still really you know ancients and and playing ancients in in a quasi-competitive manner um, has always been what's what's driven the fun on it, really. Looking at the uh, Mad Axman website or, or blog, uh, is there a difference, actually, between the website and the blog? Yeah, it's it's all part of um, my um, completely incoherent, probably nonsense um, SEO strategy. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I, and I think this has actually, this is something that I've chatted to Tamsin and, and other people about, which has changed. I think a few years, it started off just as a website, but to drive traffic to a website or get it found, um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, a lot of War Games was just on blogs, on Blogger, um, the Google Blogger platform, and um, and everything was happening on Blogger. So I had a, I kind of, you know, I've got a website, but people are, writing their own blog they're liking other people's blogs through the google world you know it's like a little closed world it's, which i suppose it was yeah all those blogs were kind of like a facebook for wargamers really because they all connected and you could put something on your blog 
a widget, I think they called them on your blog, to click to like other blogs and things like that. And I just kind of went, I'm missing out on this being part of this thing because mine is just a standard website. It's not connected to the blogger um, world, the blogger universe. So, so I created the, um, I, mean, I, I just set up a blogger site for it. And then the, the way it kind of works is that I will post an article on blogger and bloggers got quite a lot of tools to um, push that out to other sites. So effectively I key something into my blogger site it then appears on the front page of Mad Axman as a news item and it automatically goes to Twitter and Facebook and a couple of other things to kind of ping ping it out to basically save me doing like loads more work on the website and less painting um, than I actually should do. So so it kind of it looks the same. I've, I've kept the look and feel the same because you can actually tweak blogger things. But but really, it's just it's an easy way for me to. Um, create content and push it out to a number of sources to tell people it's there um, but but I think certainly over the last you know five years plus the the number of comments and and things that happen on bloggers seems to have really really fallen off and and I think Facebook has taken stolen so much of that wargaming conversation um, nowadays in all the different groups and things that the blogger thing still seems to be, you know, it's almost a piece of back office, if if that's the word, to the website, rather than the the front facing bit that it used to be. And it is just about pushing out on Facebook to the to whichever people they decide to let you um, send information to that day. Um, it has, has replaced it a bit more than um, than it used to, and then I guess podcasts as well um, and YouTube have, have just become a much bigger bigger part of where that conversation happens as well but, but i guess these you know these things do change it's not not always going to be the same yeah i think there's so many outlets now on the, uh, when i first started a blog well, i don't know 2008 something like that the, that was pretty much it the the blogspot blogger platform um but now there's just so many places you can go to put your content and um, to have something that would link is a fantastic idea, actually. I, I wasn't aware of the ability of this, where you could post in one place and I'll just throw it out to everywhere yeah, else that you wish to connect. It's um, blogger, blogger sites create um, an RSS feed. And RSS feeds were quite cool a while ago, but they do still exist and work. And other bits of software can take things from an rss feed and repost them elsewhere so um you know it that that's the gist of it. it to me it's a thing that is and also it's owned by google so it's going to help your search engine isn't it if, yes again it's my theory i'm not at all an expert on this but it's just you know throw content at the wall and it'll keep going um so yeah that's that's the that's the theory um there's probably almost certainly people out there who are far more um, clever at this stuff and are, are just shaking their head going it's nonsense and I think I do occasionally get chat to um, Martin at Vexilia who who keeps saying to me yes but you cannot have a website with a brown background that's bloody rubbish and and I keep going yeah I know but people are used to it and I just can't be you know um, <laughs> or whatever so so yeah there, there's there's ways and means to do it but um, it, it's 
I don't want to do more. I don't want to get more into that side of it than is fun. I, I think it's Martin when I was doing a little bit of research on you, Tim, that uh, says on his website, this is describing your podcast. Um, he, he says, uh, uh, during the lockdown, I've been listening to the Mad Axman podcast, which is part of Tim Porter's burgeoning media empire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's a lovely quote. Yeah, an empire of empire of whatever something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just just going on on <laughs> just going on to the Mad Axman side of things. Then I was trying to think how I could best describe what Mad Axman provides because. There's such a wealth of varied material on there. <laughs> such a wealth of varied. Yeah. Didn't I describe it as like a pile of nonsense? Uh, no, no, no. Like, yeah. I, I challenge that. I challenge that because I've spent many hours on this website, uh, particularly trying, um, trying to find things. Yes. Navigation's <laughs> <laughs> dreadful. That's part of my secret. Yeah. Where are I? Okay. Yeah. Well, I think I first came across it when I was first thinking of playing PBI by Peter Pig. And uh, you came up in a in a search engine where you, I think you'd entered a, an event in Bristol. Yeah, um, yeah. And I came across it was the first battle report I'd seen by yourself. And yeah, you've definitely got a, a unique approach to your battle reports. Uh, the the most the, the most uh, striking of which is the the speech bubbles. Which you know at times have had me chuckling and and close to out <laughs> uh, would laughing and and uh, holding my sides because it really brings a, a different angle to what can be very um, dry. It can be a very dry subject, can't it? Sometimes I, I, think, you know, I think you're absolutely because I, you know battle reports is what um, you're right, but I think I realised pretty early on. You know, it's well. It's that red dwarf thing, isn't it? You know, the rim of being, and then I rolled a six, can I, and then I rolled a four two. So, you know, it goes on for a week and a half. Um, and that's what battle reports can actually very easily be. And, and trying to explain to, even trying to explain to another wargamer, if you're sat talking to them, how a battle went, you know, Adam on, on the podcast will just go, look, honestly, nobody really gives a toss. You know, um, nobody's really, if, you, if, if a load of us go to an event, we all sit in the pub afterwards and and it's kind of this thing that you'll you'll explain the cool bits in your battle and the other five are kind of like going right we have to nod and be polite because if i don't do that i won't get a chance to tell them about mine which is all i really care about and then the other five are going to nod and ignore it as well so there is that bit that are people really interested um or try, you've got to make it interesting and and actually i think the way the the, the speech bubbles do that is just by creating something that's utterly separate to the battle report and quite often there's a there's a completely different narrative going on with the the little guys on the table um talking about things and you know and I, sometimes you you get a, a roll on it and you get a bit inspired and you get some good stuff going on or something bizarre or you know i think one of them's worried about um you know the guys in the line worried about whether they've left the gas on or something or left the iron um and just completely surreal nonsense but it, you've got to keep it engaging because battle reports just aren't that interesting um that's the fundamental bit because we we do it because we like playing the game and we like looking at pictures but um but trying to make people follow a battle report so it makes it fun for me to do um as well um and you know try to learn something or, or learn something sort of tactical out of it but but yeah those um 
those photos of the captions um, has become kind of a thing. And I, I suspect, although I don't actually want to ever really work this out, I think I might take more time writing them than I do playing. Um, <laughs> which would be awkward if I ever admitted it to myself. But, um, but I used to spend a lot of time on long haul airplanes, um, so I could do a lot of it then. But um, And then, yeah, other stuff, I'll go through, you know, if, if I'm starting collecting a period, I, I started it with 10 mil World War Two quite a long time ago, and then just go, right, I'm just going to put everything I know online because this is going to be useful to someone at some point um, because there just aren't quite as many definitive directories of things or, or stuff like that. And, and if I've painted the damn things and taken some photos, um, if they are there for 10, 15 years, they do then start to, you know, the effort is then start, is worthwhile because under that time, enough people are just about going to see them to, to do them. But yeah, it is the um, it is the battle reports. If I do a, each time I do a new battle report, I'll push out, you know, I'll put it on Twitter that it's out there, and I'll post it on a number of different forums and things. And and normally you get uh, and the different web traffic monitor things are always slightly different. But I use a one called Stat Counter that um, does some nice simple graphics but that would normally show at the moment that if I put a new battle report out probably more than a thousand or just over a thousand people will read it within the first three or four days wow you know that's kind of like I'm yeah I I feel that works worth worth doing you know yeah yeah definitely and and if it's if it's still a thousand for the next one, um, there's there's obviously quite a lot of war games to churn through. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Or some yeah. of them are coming back, maybe. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just looking on on the uh, on the battle report section. I think the first one goes back to the nationals at Loughborough in '99. Yeah, so but, 22 yeah, years of battle reports. Yeah, you know, and and that one was you know just like one set of words. I've probably lost the pictures and. I think, you know, if you go through them, you can see when I got a different camera or, or something or when I started working out some clever formatting things or or chucking in um, YouTube videos to break it up. Because, again, it's just about this needs to be broken up because if it is just picture text, picture text, picture text, I, you know, um, Nick Harkaway could try writing that and it's not going to be something you could follow. So, um, you know, it, and then you, you, do, you, you do have somebody who helps you though don't you hannibal helps you out yes of course yeah yes well you know I, that was um because that, that, that's one of the salute figures um you know they give a, a special figure at salute with um in the bag that hannibal figure was one of their figures from from years ago that um i did a kind of a reasonable paint job on it i, I painted eyebrows on his eyes and um um yeah the, you, you know I, I do learn occasionally and and it was kind of how it sort of you got to i got to the end of the battle reports and i was thinking there's got to be some sort of summary here but but i can't really write a summary that says yeah i did brilliantly and i beat the other guy um because that makes you sound like a bit of a tosser really doesn't it so um and quite often it didn't really happen so so i i ended up thinking can i write something that is still you know if i write it that's always rude about me um, and try and pick some sort of, you know, summary or, or nuggets out of it. And then you start delving into the crevices of the internet and you find that there are websites that will randomly generate, um, you know, an Elizabethan insult or something like that. So, um, so that, 
honestly, or, or Viking insult or, or all sorts of things. So um, I think they like that Daily Mail headline generator. They, they drop different most text in. So, um, so I started doing those and then that's just become a thing, really. And, you know, I, I kind of feel compelled to to carry on um, doing it. I think Hannibal might be more... Um, yeah, I think there's people who, who think it might actually be someone other than me um, because <laughs> they're like, he's really rude to you. Who does that? And I'm like, no, it is, it is me. Um, it, it is me who does it. And um, yeah, and then you end up playing with other things. I think on some of the latest ones, I've found out how to do that Daily Mail headline generator thing. Um, so it, in some of them, if you refresh the page, the um, the very odd things about you know from the the light of the egyptian horus for ferrero russia you know that will be different next time you do it um, it's just randomly assembled nonsense but um which just amuses me even if if nobody really knows it's happening so so yeah it's um it's it's been quite a while um with those been quite a while and and again not just on ancients you can do some there's some second world war ones i think there is a PBI one. There is two. Managed to two do a, there's a couple. There's one where I, I still possibly the greatest thing I, in my, you know, personally in the website was when I managed to do a very terrible animation of a flamethrower working, which is it's like it's like the shittest thing you've ever seen. But it's like a little bloke and this yellow thing comes out in about two stages, and it's I was going yes, it took me ages to get the different bits aligned and all the rest of it. I remember that. I remember seeing that, Tim, because uh, I think I was probably going down to, it was at Portbury, the the one at Bristol, yeah. And we, we may have been at one of those at the same time, actually, but... Um, um, and I was, I was, because I was new to the game, I just wanted to see how things were working. And it, I, I don't know if you'd use Belgians or something at that point, but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, it, it was really useful. And I, I imagine, well, yeah, obviously, uh, th there's an audience for this because you look at the number of hits that you get on the blog and, and as you say, a thousand people within four or five days. Uh, it's just an incredible resource. And you, it's not just the battle reports, but you put, put dozens and dozens of army lists, don't you? Yeah, well, that, again, it was it was suddenly thinking, well, yeah, war gamers are interested in looking at figures. They're looking at army lists, all the rest of it. Um, I'm writing down my opponent's army list or no, i'm playing someone so if i write down their army list and put it on the web that will help somebody else design an army um so why not you know it's not secret why not just share this stuff so and if you play a competition you might be picking up you know, it used to be four games now with adlg it's five games so you've got your own you're generating six different army lists just by the stuff you've seen yourself and Sometimes I do list checking and I'll, I'll keep the army lists or we'll get the lists from um, some of the people who do well. And it is just interesting. And I think particularly you know, there's a lot of DBM ones. There's a lot of fog ones, fog renaissance ones as well. And an ATLG in particular, as a rule set, there's there's a lot of different ways you can actually put an army together. It isn't um, so much a, what is you know, what's the one perfect list that you're trying to get to, which some systems will will gravitate you to. And and people go, oh, I didn't think about doing that. And and it just helps people get um, get armies on the table that and have a sort of vague idea how to use them. And then, you know, you once you're over that stage, 
you start enjoying it a bit more because you're not um, you're not struggling. You know, you're not getting the basics wrong, if you like. So it's it was just here's something that gets generated anyway. If I just write it up and, and key it on the web, people are interested in that stuff. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because um, although I've never played um, DBM or uh, FOG as a competitive level, when I was first looking at having to go with those rule sets, I do feel like um, if you're not within the competitive scene, you're sort of floundering around in the dark a little bit as to what do all these letters mean and, and these abbreviations and how, how can I build an army that looks something like it might be useful on the tabletop? So I, I, I always refer back to Mad Axeman, so, uh, to the army list, to say, well, this is, this is what's being used. Okay, it might be um, a maxed-out army to to, uh, to take advantage of a, a certain rule, maybe. I don't know. But at least it gave you a starter for 10 to say this is, this is what uh, is a useful army under these rules. Yeah, and you know, I think there's that thing that people, individuals, have different ways of of learning things. Now, I'm, I'm, if you look at how to make an army work, I'm not one of those people who can read a set of rules and then you know it jumps off the page. Right, you do this, you do this. I'm someone who kind of has to put the figures on table and shove them around and go, oh, uh, oh, actually, yeah, that, and you know, whereas other people, you know, I, I know. People who can just literally read the set of rules and go, oh, this, these are the key bits on that, and this is what you need to do. But so I, th- I think there's a lot of people who who learn by doing, and um, and if you can give them a, a helping hand, if you get started, then you end up playing it yourself and go, well, actually, I prefer to play this a bit faster or a bit more defensively, or I prefer, you know, and you tweak it. So so I think you know I I get a lot of the lists I do from looking at other people's going, I'd never thought about that, and and it's particularly something we've uh, me and the other central London guys find when we go abroad, because you get into a completely different. Um, I suppose the word is meta, isn't it? That and suddenly you go, God, oh, they're playing it like this. Wow, that's interesting. Oh, so oh, I'd never thought of that. Oh, if I pro, you know, and and you can just it it means that army list that's written on the page that suddenly has got 20 different ways of being put together that are all viable or interesting or, or going to give you a good game rather than um, rather than just kind of one or two yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it the uh, i mean the, the, when i say there's so much content on your website on, on the matter axman website you've got the army list you've got the battle reports you talk a bit about um a delve into malifo which is a game i played myself and really enjoyed um, it's clever, isn't it? It's really yeah, good. it's it's very clever. And there's no dice, so you can't yeah. blame dice. Malifaux is it's another one of those ones where you know, and I think I, I think I mentioned a while ago well, yeah, we did talk about it a while ago saying seeing seventh having some clever ideas and then DBM was just like someone's ripped the rule book out and, and is approaching this from a completely different angle, isn't this clever? And and Malifaux, you can really feel it, it's maybe it's a wargaming question really because that's a, a a company isn't it that's a company that makes high price models and it's sort of in the gw kind of world but not nowhere near that scale but but the the sense that there's a team of professionals designing and testing this so that it's just good and it works it kind of makes you have a slightly different um perspective on on still how um 
you know homebrew even the professional stuff in in historical wargaming is I, I don't know if you know maybe i'm maybe i'm just projecting too much into it but it's like a, yeah this is this is the product of something that works you know this is this is somebody's work well it felt um, incredibly in innovative i think um it didn't feel as though it's just a, a fad or just something for the sake of being different um the the idea of using the cards was almost thematic within in the, it's in the game absolutely thematic it? yeah it's really really good you know it does everything it was completely consistent top top to bottom i suppose the closest thing probably i've i could say in historicals was maybe when saga came out and you kind of go yeah this is doing things it is some of it's the same but some's different and it's trying to it's trying to create stories and moments that you can talk about you know in in a way and use the dice thematically as well so yeah it's interesting when that you see that sort of professionalism come through even if you don't know what you're looking for until until it happens then you're like oh, that's, that's right, what it yeah. looks like yeah oh, God, there is a different way yeah <laughs> um obviously I'll, I'll put a link up in the show notes uh, to the website for and, and i can't believe that there'll be anybody listening to this that hasn't already visited my accent <laughs> I think Google works as well fairly well. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. You, see, but, you see the me or the Michael Schenker group that you get. Um, <laughs> okay. But there's an incredible resource on there from 15 mil manufacturers, 10 mil manufacturers uh, for the World War II stuff. I think there's even American Civil War stuff on there, isn't that? Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're there's a lot of American Civil War stuff, yeah. In yeah. Great scale for it. Um, and there's links in into the podcast, which... Uh, was that a lockdown project was it tim or yeah well it... you know podcasts had been one of those things that i was trying to do for a while but i couldn't really you know you you came up with a great idea and and did it professionally i was sort of thinking how what could i do like i guess a lot of podcasters but then during lockdown there's you know half a dozen of us from the club were like we can't meet up and chat nonsense about soldiers down the pub um so almost to keep ourselves sane we just had a weekly zoom call just to to talk about what we're painting and and the rest of it and and i just was recording the zoom calls and because i'd got a subscription to um podbean i i had a platform to put them out on so the first so yeah so that if you look at the archives of the mad at mad axman podcast there's about two or three years of higgledy piggledy stuff where i was trying to do bits that tied in with the battle reports or something else then at the beginning of lockdown which would be what march march april 2020 um there's a few where we we stumble towards getting the format right um and just chat about what we painted and then it just got into a bit of a role so we you know we were all six seveners were were painting more so that we'd have more to talk about next week um and then we started adding some sort of regular features andy does a quiz and then then we end up doing um i'm sorry i think you're an ass for a while and then we you know, make some nonsense up about um upcoming events and things like that and it, it became something we all really really enjoyed and it but, it but it was just us chatting to each other and and just keeping in contact and keeping talking about war games otherwise it could have all just sort of fallen by the wayside and um and again that that sort of built up a bit of a head of steam um as well and um and now tam both tamzin and dave tamzin today i, I saw her at cell week and she said to she had someone go oh you're tamzin from the podcast <laughs> you know, it's like they recognize the voice and, and the same's happened to dave as well um so yeah it, and it's just you know i guess it, it kind of it's not 
serious at all. Um, you know, we've got a whole cast of characters. Tams is the only good painter. Well, Dave's a good painter, actually, to be fair. And uh, Tams is the proper good painter amongst us. And some of the rest of us are not so, so, not so good. But, you know, we, we just do it for, for the fun. And I think the, the bit that really um, sort of step changed it, which sounds sort of quite odd, really, was we got a chap at the club called Howard Gray, who um, is a music producer. Um, and um, he, he's got a Wikipedia page. Rock and roll. Um, there's a, I think he did the theme tune to the Lost in Space film and a, a, song, called, a song called Stop the Rock, um, which I won't even try and sing. It's like, you know, an 80s thing or something. But, um, but and he said, uh, he goes, yeah, I've listened to the first couple of your podcasts there. I like them. Um, I've got this piece of music. Do you, do you want it? Because me and the guys did it and it was supposed to be submitted to sons of anarchy as kind of incidental music that's what they've done it produced it for um, and it didn't get accepted and he said do you want it uh, and i was like yeah i'll have it so he sent it over and that's the the kind of the you know this means war thing that, that wow i was going to ask you about that too yeah. because yeah. um without owning the rights to to music yeah, really, you have to be very careful don't you about what, what you put out careful but yeah this is original music that um someone said would you like to have this? You can have it. So, yeah, how you, you know, he's uh, he's worked with Public Image Limited, Orchestral Manoeuvres and Dark, all sorts of people, you know. So he's proper proper thing. So <laughs> I'm just lucked out that he happens to be at our club and and I kind of like the podcast. So I well, I, I, use, I use the damn thing as often as I can, really. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Very good. Yeah, I've mean, got to put it out as a single soon. It's like um, yeah. <laughs> and that is incredible because um, there's one or two podcasts out there that um, use original music and it might be the podcast host or, or one of the guests who might be able to play the guitar or ukulele, but generally they're a bit rubbish, to be honest. But but that is absolutely top draw quality. And I, it's I, I, way I was, more professional. You know, well, look, the, the guys produced you too. Well, there you go. <laughs> Listen, I, I can't top that, mate. I can't top that. No, I, I, you know, I, I think it's nonsense as well. It's just like, what? what how does that happen? That is brilliant. But, yeah. But yeah, so that, that's kind of the thing. And that, but I think, you know, adding, cutting that music in does, or any music in really does do it. It's a bit like the battle reports, you know, if, if it's just lovely as we are, if it's just us talking, um, it does need to be broken up by, by something at some point. Um, other, otherwise, it becomes a bit hard work. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think I've told you before, Tim, that I love the podcast. And once I found it, then yeah, once I found it, I was I was binge listening to every, everything I could uh, get. Uh, you've been on a slight hiatus, I think. Yeah, well, you know, I think once lockdown stopped, and we, you know, we had done a lot of them. We'd done fifty or something. It's it just every week, bang, 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 and and now then suddenly. We, I think we'd also stopped painting because we painted, we'd all painted so much stuff during lockdown. Um, but, and then we like, bloody hell, we got a game with it, really. <laughs> and you still look at the figures and go, I still haven't used that army yet. So we've been doing a lot more gaming, but I think we're we're going to start again pretty soon as the nights draw in. But I think with, with central London potentially meeting twice a week it doesn't leave that many you know it doesn't necessarily need leave that many evenings when we're all there but we are going to get doing it. i think we're looking at a um a world of war sports kind of you know prediction thing when i get all the entries in for the the competition that um i'm running down in brixham in devon so once we've got all the lists for that we'll do one of those um you know 
punditry nonsense of, of predicting whether the, the Armenians will go down the wing and you know outflank the um, the Hittites or something. Um, one of those that that will be the main part of it. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to that when uh, when it does return. Um, just on that, then, and you've mentioned uh, that one of your um, sections of, of the podcast. Uh, I'm sorry. Is it? I'm sorry, but I think you're an ass. Uh, sorry, I think you're an ass. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. I think you're an ass. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it'd be quite fun to to put you in the hot seat with that, okay. uh, Tim. Now I know. Um, I think. I can't remember the guy's name who does uh, the majority of these, but Adam, Adam, yeah. Adam, he, he comes up with his own theme, doesn't he? Uh, which is basically uh, a topic that perhaps annoys him in the hobby or, yeah. or a, a contentious issue within the hobby yeah. that he will then, it's almost like defending the indefensible on, on it's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a complete rip off of both that. And I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Yeah. There's no original thought involved at all. Really. It's just, um, Cut and paste, and um, you know, yeah. And uh, so, but I'm, I'm going to give you the topic here, okay. uh, uh, Tim, and it's going to be competition gaming because mm. uh, I, uh, I spoke with Ken uh, from the Yorkshire Gamer yeah. podcast, who ran a uh, a section called the War Gaming Room 101, and I put competition gaming into the Room 101. Because uh, I think it brings out the worst in people, in my experience. However, mm. your wargaming life, by the sense of it, has been ninety-eight percent, maybe ninety-eight point five percent competition wargaming, uh, and not just in this country, but worldwide. Uh, so you are, I would say, the subject matter expert on competition <laughs> wargaming. So I'm going to. I'm going to give you a few minutes to uh, tell us why competition gaming is a good thing for the hobby. Right. Okay. Yeah, in the, in the, I'm sorry. I think you're nasty. But I, yeah. I think that it, you know that is a challenge because if we look at this hobby, you know, we are all if we're all solitary people with almost no social skills whatsoever, and a hobby that we're embarrassed to even share in public. And you know, I'm I'm here, and um, even you're recording this podcast. We haven't got video. I don't even know what you look like. You're, you're hiding away in your bunker. I'm hiding away in my bunker. It could be any old nonsense, really. So, so I think the the idea of setting up um, something in this hobby that is fundamentally about not going out and having no friends um, for socially inept people to say, right, what you've actually got to do now is meet strangers, um, engage with them in some sort of structured, formal social um, thing, and. You, when you're doing that clearly you know in theory it looks like you're playing a game of toy soldiers with someone trying to win and, and do all the rest of it but and i think this might actually be the semi-serious point about um what competition gaming is there's two levels of game first is there's a game you're playing on the tabletop to to crush them you know destroy their spirit you know send them home crying to their mum, um which is of course the objective but there's also another meta level game of trying to do that in a way which leaves them walking away thinking he's actually not a bad bloke really um so that's kind of the second level of of the game and i think there is that bit of um of competition gaming about you are actually putting yourself out there in front of other people in a in a competitive way but the actual the win is for them to go that was a cracking game um let's go for a pint you know and you've made a new friend so but i think you know clearly for for many wargamers the idea of of making a new friend is um 
is an anathema, really, because, you know, if you've got two, why, why do you need a third? Uh, is it? And, um, <coughs> no, no, no. and then, you know, you have to go out and socialize afterwards and, and go into the real world. So, you know, we've been we've been in um, <laughs> we've been in bars. Um, and, yeah. It, it's the kind of thing that in the States you do end up in a Hooters if you go out with American war games, which is just a dreadful, dreadful thing. But but it's just kind of the appropriate environment for them afterwards. And and that bit I mentioned earlier about providing a context for you to sit around and and talk to six other war gamers about what dice you rolled and for them to know that they've got the opportunity to also bore the other five of you. And that shared social contract of, um, OK, I should look bored and walk away here, but I'm going to grit my teeth because I then get my chance to bore them in response. Um, you know, that that's an inevitable part of it as well. But but I think, you know, more more seriously, it's this is a hobby about gaming and it, it's about playing a game. And if and a competition is just a chance to play five or six games in a weekend against people who are strangers and who become your friends. You know, I've got mates from the competition circuit who I've known for 30 years and in a very wargaming sort of way you know I know what armies they've got um you know uh, Dave Hanley um some of you might know from uh, from Yorkshire I must have been playing him on and off for 30 years and we still joke he's got this unit of light horse who are dressed like Santa Claus and every they appear in every bloody army they've been Hungarians Romans everything but um but that, you know, when they turn, that's kind of a mutual joke we've had going for thirty years on it. And you know, I barely know anything about him other than, um, you know, like all these people, you know their armies, you know what they play, and you have these superficial conversations with them. So you can pretend to have lots more friends, but without actually having to get to know them. So as a, you know, as a wargamer, you can, you can kind of sidestep that that whole awkward genuine interpersonal stuff by having friendships entirely based on um, toy soldiers with people around the world that you can you can then move, move them around and pass them on so so i think there's a lot of there's a lot of positives and i think the um probably the final positive uh, you know <laughs> yeah actually i'm just trying to think on um yeah because part of itza is about being rude isn't it so if i can be rude about you ken um by default i think um you know there is this continuing thing of how are we going to grow the historical wargaming hobby? And the answer is always, we are going to persuade those many millions of people who put millions and millions of dollars into the pockets of um, Games Workshop to suddenly start playing historical war games because it's only a small step um, for them. But but I think the idea of saying someone who, has, you know, from the age of 12 has been going into Games Workshop to buy an army not even bother painting it, glue it together badly, so they can put it on table and um, and beat their school friends with it. And uh, their whole ecosystem is about Games Workshop bringing out a better figure to beat people in a competitive game and you spending your pocket money on it. And then they bring out a better one the next week as well. You know, that is the, the entire, the, the competition format is the entire basis for pretty much every other non-historical war game out there now there's no um 11 year old creating a 18 foot by six foot diorama of the battle of you know the xyz planet of space lunatics and and 
monkeys on jet bikes or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the new codex for that or something. That is the one, yeah. It's coming out yeah. next week, yeah. Yeah, exactly. there's, there's no one out there doing that in a basement, spending a year doing it, taking it to a show, moving the figures possibly twice and ignoring all the other people walking past who are trying to engage with the trust and what it's about. You know, that side of the hobby does not exist in the non-historical side that you know it's a it's an anachronism for the um the historical side so if if we as historicals players want to expand um and get some of these um young whippersnappers to to move over from from space orcs on space hoppers or whatever they are um competition games where they're going to go because that's what they do you know um that, that genuinely is a thing and you know so i, I think to me it's it's great fun. You go around the world, you have a load of beers with other people, you meet other people, you meet completely new sets of friends, um, you eat interesting food, um, you get ridiculously drunk, um, you go to nightclubs that you're way too old to go to, and, um, and some of them you don't even get let into. You get some great, great stories out of it, um, great experiences, and widen the circle of friends and the games are kind of fun as well if you as long as you approach them in the right attitude but but they're sort of secondary you know i'm, I'm trying to think back if if i only played my own mates in um in my own basement i wouldn't have traveled once i think the way it is on the battle report somewhere i flew to an event in seville so we had a night out in seville we were in a um a lord of the rings theme pub in seville um bit weird and um then got completely hammered the next morning i played a guy who looked like jesus and was called jesus um you know he had the beard and the hair and the whole thing and um and he was playing dbm he set up his army and it was like dbm had three commands and the one in the middle was unreliable so it wasn't going to fight and i had all the matchups right and i like went to the guys said this guy's his army's like unreliable all the matchups are perfect and he's advancing towards me when i'm better than him everywhere i could like beat him in half an hour this is nonsense and then i waded my troops in i had the worst dice you've ever seen ever seen um and i was taking my stuff off in fistfuls and and i'd lost the game in 40 minutes so i'm going back to the other guys you know that thing i told you um i just had my ass handed to me on a plate by jesus um which is kind of weird um and i ended up sat drinking beer on my own in a spanish bullfighters restaurant um, for about three hours while the other people finished their games it's just like a, you're not going to get that if you only play you know people you know in your own basement on a, on a using a set of rules that you've um, invented yourself you know and, and written on parchment so there's there's some entertaining stuff you know there, there's some very very entertaining stuff that can do so so that i think is um you know the chance to get your ass handed to you by jesus to me that's the thing that that's why um that, and, and then go drinking with bullfighters is is something that other forms of gaming just can't really offer you it's almost impossible for me to come back with that story <laughs> so you floored me with that story because yeah. <laughs> the, the, just just going back to the the ethos around competition gaming now i i have um in the interest of full disclosure, I have taken part in, in competition gaming. I did some uh, WAB back in the day, Warhammer Ancient Battles, um, and I've done some in the Games Workshop arena, dare I say, and uh, also the Kings of War arena. Um, but but I'm gonna, just let me throw this one 
one um, caveat at you that does it or does it not in some people come, does it not bring out the worst in some people in that it becomes that I've got to win this because they're ex- they, they want to win uh, the tournament or they just want to beat you or um, they want to be the best amongst their club events that 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 event does it not bring out that ultra competitive win at all costs player um i think you know of course yes um you know seriously there are people like that but i think there's a lot of caveats to that i think um if you um if you look at the historicals world and you know the big competition thing in historicals has always been ancients because the the way the armies work and the rules and all the rest of it that's there's always been the biggest pool i think you know back in in fact even today there's kind of 500 people will play in some form of ancients competition in the uk in any given year so it's a big big number but i think if you went back 10 15 years um there was much more of a a genuinely this is a competitive thing and we're trying to take the the, the powers that be the people organizing events we're trying to make them more serious serious and and we were younger you know the 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 graying of the hobby we were all younger so the 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 thing was geared towards creating competition and if you you know talk about the people who throw their talk you know dice away the rest of it it is the the 11 year olds having a tantrum in the games workshop isn't it um you know in some way so when we were all closer to being you know 11 year olds yes i think there was for a while a time at which it got at the top end of it a little bit toxic but you know that's that's probably 15 years ago um and there was you know, stuff at stake now i think because a lot of the people are still the same and the rules have changed as well to become you know, more perhaps more simple there's a big trend in rules towards them becoming more simple which actually means more luck dependent um so it's harder to take it seriously um in a good way where you know it, it's impossible to take fire and fury seriously um, and fire and fury isn't um a competition set you know and it's because mad stuff happens with it and i think more of the rules have got simpler cleaner better written um and you're going actually i've done you know i've i've done this i've got a box of trophies that are sat on a shelf that my wife tells me every six months i need to throw out and i and, and that bit of i want to go create some stories and meet some new people and have a beer with them and, and make sure they enjoy the game you know, I, I part of the aim is actually, did you enjoy playing it? That's what I want to achieve. And I think what a lot of people want to achieve. And, and I don't want someone to think I'm an arsehole. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there was a, a group of, I would probably say us, who who were not that fussed if people thought we were arseholes. Um, but I think we'd just all grown out of it. So, so yeah, there was a moment in time that that, that was a thing. And... You know, like anything, you know, to say it brings out the worst in people, um, you can do, a, you know, the, the, my, my, my so what, very tongue in cheek, 28 foot by 16 foot, you know, 27 mil Napoleonics down in your basement. And one of the people there in your club's going to be an arsehole as well. Um, anyway, you know, because it's, it's, you know, that, that's sort of part and parcel of the hobby. I'm a, 
that's the nature of the beach really so so yes i think you know there there are assholes but but actually we've all just got past it and the rules have moved on and and if you are running the competitions in a way which doesn't you know you that is less serious you as the person who's running the event have got an ability to set the tone as well so so if if the organizers go right there's loads of rules there's this that and the other and you've got to do this and points and we're deducting and it's just like it creates an atmosphere of competition if you go right everybody please be bloody nice you know I, uh, there's free tea we're all going to go to the pub afterwards please don't be a knobhead you know um it, it kind of creates a, this isn't serious you are playing toy soldiers um that does create a different expectation i think all the people organizing events now just want them to be fun um, and want people to enjoy them that's it i, I think my uh, my opinion is probably cla- uh, clouded from years and years ago and i think i talked about this with ken about the worlds at the assembly rooms in derby where it was possibly dbm or it may have been seventh it was round about that time yeah um and there's people from south africa there there was italians there from all over europe and it was a great spectator sport whenever something kicked off uh, when two people uh, really disagreed over a, a couple of millimeters or a dice roll, um, and I think that I'm clouded very much. Uh, oh, from no, and, 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 and I remember, you know, I remember those days, and it was it was dreadful. But I think part of that, or a big part of that, was was because the organisation was trying to make it an important thing. So the organization and the whole way it's put together did sort of create that and i think partly you know seventh was was a dreadful rule set because um you know i think with a lot of rules every rule set there's a mix of do you win the game by playing tactics that are rule set agnostic or do you win the game by knowing the mechanics of the rules better than the other guy and seventh that balance was way towards the mechanics side of it you know, and I think there are that's that's true with a lot of rule sets. But but I think nowadays rules authors were now two, three, four, five generations of rules since that. And people have learned that they've got to kind of batter that out of it. And, and it just doesn't doesn't happen. But if we were all playing seventh again, I, I suspect that that might still be the case. But the, the modern rule sets are just, you know, if. If it's a six one's just going to wipe you out, it's quite hard to take it seriously and take it to heart because it's just that stuff happens really. Whereas in seventh, you could play the game such that you you squeezed the luck out of it. Um, you know, the, a good player could could avoid bad luck, and and that's just not possible now with games that, that, that people are playing these days. So yeah. Right. Uh, well, Tim, I'm, I'm going to put my black cap on, I think, here <laughs> to uh, ponder the decision. But um, uh, listen, I've invited you onto the podcast. I'm, I'm not going to be calling you an arse in this case. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. <laughs> well, you can edit it in later, though, can't you? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There'll be a little bit of music. <laughs> when you go, well, actually, that'll be it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I th- I'm joking aside, I think it's a wonderful uh, segment within your your show. It's one of my favourites. But no, we, um, we've we've, um, we've repeated a couple of them. But I put them out as individuals. I've just repeat, cut some of those bits out and put them out. So there are some some recent ones which are just just the arse. I think is possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think you've uh, you've um, you fought your corner very well there, mate. And uh, uh, I, d- I do agree uh, that. Uh, as people get older, these things winning becomes less important, doesn't it? In in this in this in this uh, environment, and uh, uh, I do sit, still see because I do keep a watch eye over the the fantasy uh, gaming scene because I've been involved in it, and there's been a couple of real stinking examples in the last couple of weeks where people have either got very upset over. Um, over an army list that somebody's taken and uh you know things have come down to personal insults or um famously at the the london gt as it was um and i think there was a to the strongest event at that as well actually a couple yeah, of weeks ago the bhgs ran um about six events in parallel with that we had some ah, events um that there I you go. In, yeah yeah but it, it, it had the world's largest 40k event uh with close on 600 uh, 600 players and that it came down to the one uh, they, they sorted out it out so the two top players played the final game on the Sunday to decide who was going to win this world world's largest event and the, 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 the one of the players had his first turn and basically won the game before the other guy had, had rolled a dice because <laughs> he'd just yeah. blown his opponent off the table oh, uh, and they shook yeah. hands at the end of it. So uh, yeah. that that seems all all well worthwhile, doesn't it? Going to yeah, yeah. And all over before the yeah. other players uh, rolled the dice. But they, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Something's gone wrong in game design there. That's maybe yeah. that's not one of the professional ones for sure. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, we'll move on to the last section then. And Tim, if that's all right with you, um, and it, it's it's uh, quite a, a pertinent section because we're going to talk about war game shows now. Uh, Partisan was last weekend, which I went to, but you've been to Selwick today. Yeah, no. So I, I, how did that go? It was um, it was really weird to be back to a show because it, it kind of makes you realise how many of the traders you end up knowing you know i okay i do know a number of them because i've been organizing the the britcon show and competition up in manchester for the last five or six years um anyway so i i, I do chat to a, a good number of them through that but but um so i got there about one ish which because i'd seen stuff about partisan saying how busy it had been early doors at partisan which is the same with anything isn't it you know you go to you go to salute and um there's a queue around the block for people to get in at 10 and then you walk in at half past 10 and um you enter each where's where's the strategy amongst these people you know it's there should be something about this um so yeah just do a flank march come in the back um but uh, but yeah so i, I deliberately got there because i thought i want to go when it's a little bit quieter and you know ch- get around and have a chat to it i think it's very difficult to um no, the venue is great you know it actually it was big enough it was airy enough there was loads of space it it felt you know in covid world as safe as being outside because it was such a big empty venue um really high ceiling that that sports center it's a million times better um than than the the, the edge of the swimming pool or whatever it was that they used to um, hold it in that was almost inaccessible um but obviously a different part of the world but i think you've got a couple of things like it maybe it was a little bit quiet um 
but I'm only there at one o'clock. But if you think that's moved from Crystal Palace, where it would have had a catchment area of Crystal Palace to, to slightly North London, where it's a slightly different catchment area. But I think the big thing is Salute this year is in November. Um, and then you've also got Warfare in November as well. So that's a lot of shows to ask people to go to in London and the Southeast in in a handful of weeks. So um, I think they were marginally down on numbers, which is pretty bloody good, is actually the answer. Um, there were a lot of demo games um, there from different clubs and things like that, um, that, that they were all very keen to get back in. Um, the traders all seemed happy. They were, um, you know, they were kind of like, they understood that this was getting back to it. Um, I think what will be interesting will be the traders have all done very well through through mail order over the last two years. Um, and it's whether that assumption that um, people will carry on using mail order or whether they will start actually saying, well, I've only did it because there wasn't a show and now I'm going to spend my money at a show. I can see there being some traders who go, well, you know, I'm now making so much money online. I'm just going to stick online. And then they might find that that money just goes back to the face to face event. Um, and also, I suspect there's been much more spend, because if you look at uh, I don't know if you saw one of those things that might have been on Twitter or something that so Games Workshop share price has done and sales have done really well through the pandemic. Um, and somebody put something said there's a the pandemic has proved that the um, um, that the hobby of playing Warhammer is actually just a distraction to the real hobby of buying and collecting Warhammer. <laughs> so, if, so if you're so if you're not allowed to play it, you've got a lot more time just go online and buy the damn stuff. Um, so and I, and I, you know, looking at myself, I've got three armies in the painting queue that I've bought, and you know. It might even be four, if I'm honest. Shit. Oh, dear. oh, God. there's no, there's no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and I've just not got round to to even starting yet because I've just bought them because you sit here and you click online and the rest of it. So, so I, I have a suspicion that some of the sales over the last eighteen months that are online were, were. I'm I'm sequestered at home and um, I'm just clicking because I'm bored and I wouldn't normally have bought it, and some. The ones that actually if there's a show i'll buy it at a show um you know for for different things but it might just be different you know different rules there seemed a lot of 20 mil uh, maybe i was just watching it because i've been playing a bit of um the two fat lardies um games um chain of command there seemed a lot of 20 mil world war ii stuff um there a lot of terrain buildings i nearly bought a six mil mts 1920 cinema um from blots which you know you're not going to buy. You're not going to find that on a website if you're browsing. Are you? But I was really tempted. I nearly bought it, but then I realised I'd have to buy the rest of the whole town to, to go around it. Um, I couldn't just plonk it in the middle of the German countryside, which is all my other six mil modern stuff. Um, but um, so yeah, they, it's those those sorts of things. So you know, I but it was good to be back, and it was just getting up to speed with a lot of changes for for that show. But everybody seemed pretty chilled and just you know warm and happy to be be out and meeting people and, and spending some money again
Yeah, I, I think I mentioned in the pre-ramble, I've, I've looked at uh, Tamsin's blog, uh, Wargamer Girl, I think it is, isn't it? Um, who's, I think she's done a, a loot haul thing where she's shown what she's bought. But uh, she, yeah, she mentions that the number of traders may be down slightly, but the number of games on display was might have been up. Uh, visitors might have been down slightly, but I think it's this there's a bit where we're going to have to get the confidence back for the, the punters to get through the door because we are, well, there's, there's a huge debate in the hobby. Are we a grain hobby? But um, the, the demographic is, I think is certainly uh, at, the, at the upper end of, of uh, the age brackets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, to me, to me, you know, anybody who thinks that's a debate, um, I think um, that, that's a subject. Yeah, that's not a subject of debate, is it really? No, no, no. no. I'm, 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 no I think 40s to 50s and and uh, beyond uh, is the typical demographic that you'll see at these shows. Um, and that brings with it the related health issues and uh, concerns about COVID. So there's a bit about getting the confidence back no, for those I, people. Honestly, though, I, I wonder if that's, you know, it's very easy for, you know, we sit here and we're talking on a podcast and, and you get into a mindset of, of trying to be a pundit and talk about these things. Cause you know, it, it's a very easy form of words to fall into, but, but the reality is there is a finite number of war gamers to go to shows and the biggest show in the UK um, is a few weeks away. Um, and if you're going to go to one, there's going to be some people out of that finite pool of potential trade show visitors who go, Actually, I'll wait for salute. Um, and in a normal year for Selwig, that those people would go to Selwig. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's a much bigger. I think that's a much much bigger factor than anything to do with you know COVID or whatever. Because partisan looking at the photos and all the rest of it was absolutely rammed. You know that look that must have had more people than than ever before. So, I think we could you know we could guess that it's COVID, but that's probably. I'll sit here, you know, stroking our, our, our beards and going, to go, oh, COVID, yeah. But actually, it's like, no, there's three bloody shows within three weeks. And, um, well, uh, listen, you know. listen, absolutely. And I suspect that that argument is the better argument uh, regarding numbers because um, there's a finite number of gamers who've got a finite num uh, amount of money to spend uh, in, in such a short space of time. So the fact that we've got, within, uh, is it within four weeks or three weeks, we've got three, well, four weeks probably, we've got four big shows um, that normally wouldn't be clashing. Um, and, and, and Salute, yes, I, I think Salute will be a, a great litmus test uh, to see uh, where we are, but uh, I won't be going uh, because of where it is in the calendar. I've got other things within the hobby uh, around about that time. Uh, when I ordinarily would go uh, at yeah, the no, I, I think time I'm, slot. I'm, I'm not, you know, I I think I will go. I, I don't have anything to buy, but I think I will go because it's salute. And then um, I think also um, when I used to have a real job, um, I was for a while I was Excel's biggest customer. So they, they would, I would always manage to get a, um, uh, I would always manage to get a free ticket from them. You know, they were like, <laughs> you can get me this you know a freebie for this like thing that's a fiver please and they're like what the hell okay, I, it's pointless isn't it it's nonsense they go yeah right well uh, listen I, I absolutely love the salute show it's it's quite I, I spend quite a lot of money before i've walked through the door uh just because of where i live in the 
in the country. <laughs> it's an, what we call at our club, it's an event show. It's an, uh, the, day, the whole day is an event in that we're travelling down to London. We get on to, to jump on the underground, which, you know, we do once or twice a year. It must be so exciting for you guys, yeah, and it lets us see this sort of stuff, isn't it? I know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's brilliant, yeah. It really opens our eyes to what we're missing out on up in the sticks. Um, but, uh, and I'm led to believe it will be on again this uh, coming April, so um, we'll, we'll be back down then, but... Um, and it, it's so difficult, isn't it, for these organisers who've missed out on being able to put on the shows and their events over the last 18 months you know, or it's, so. It's been so, so difficult for the whole trade show industry. You know, never mind. Wargaming is just such a teeny tiny part of it. But for, for the whole events industry, it's been been beyond catastrophic. But but I think you, you look at... It's difficult how quickly we're getting back and we, you know, we get into stuff that's not about toy soldiers, really. But I, th I think it's very, it's very easy to, to overthink this, but actually a lot of people are just getting back to normal and, and it is just moving back to normal, isn't it? Um, you know, that's, that's what it is. And if you, if you're motivated to go, you'll go. And if you weren't that motivated to go, maybe you weren't one of the people who spent a lot of money anyway. You know, it's if you really want to go, you'll you'll go. But certainly, I really enjoyed it. I, I bumped into a. I found there was a club from my old home, hometown who had a demo, so it was a bit weird. And um, and saw some new stuff. Um, nearly picked up a few other things. Got some different ideas. But I think it's the issues for me in terms of spending are more. I've got such a backlog through eighteen months of board clicking um, that it was difficult for me to to get um excited about or, or enticed by something new um but that's just you know maybe that is actually a bigger issue for other people it's going to take a while for people to to work down the lead pile that that they bought through um through clicking during lockdown um that might be a bigger factor than anything to do with you know covid and and, and risks and all the rest of it that it's just something else entirely uh, yeah, my experience absolutely mirrors that in that um, I was hugely excited to go to Partisan. Um, there's a great buzz in, in the hall there. I was I, I went a little bit later, about half past 11, uh, so there was no queue, but the, the hall was rammed and it was absolutely buzzing with people who haven't seen each other for 18 months and catching up and having a chat. Um, but like you, um, I, I went without a shopping list, um, and uh, I didn't see any impulse buys. There were probably one or two things that I could have bought on impulse, but like you, I've got a backlog of things that I bought over the last 18 months. So it may take a little while to recover from from that sort of uh, aspect in that uh, we would probably, all of us have, at some point, have, have sat there at half past 11 in our pants and ordered uh, a new army that we didn't need <laughs> no, <laughs> just I'm, because for something yeah. to do. No, I must admit, if I, if I spend any more time staring at these Merliton spearmen, I'll just poke my own eyes out with a blunt paintbrush or something. Yeah, they've got to get finished and on table soon, really. I need to move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've, I've certainly started more projects in the last 18 months than I have uh, in, in the last few years, actually. So it certainly hasn't blunted uh, my ability to spend 
start new projects and, and get painting. I've got a lot of painting done in the last 18 months. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, absolutely incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But and, and I, I really hope it was a big success for the organisers of, of Partizan and, and for Selwig. Selwig in particular because of the, the change of venue. That's always a risky risky one. I know that a couple of shows... Yeah, obviously, you know, I, think, I think the traders were were happy and you know they you got to remember traders this is their job so we can all sit here and try and make stuff up but but they're like look you know we know that people it's never going to be what it was but it's it just needs to be good enough for them to go yeah i understand what this is you know and, and it, i think it'll be better next year i'm perfectly happy with that you know I, I, you've got to come to the first one because otherwise there isn't a second no no and i think 22 uh, 2022 hopefully we'll see the you know the full recovery of, of the show scene because it's a big part of my hobby life uh they, they are days that i look forward to uh to get out and and uh, see these things in the flesh because there's nothing like seeing the things in the flesh that you know it's okay seeing it on the sc- uh, computer screen but um, well, certainly yeah. the, comp- you know, the competitions that have been put out there so far um certainly in in my you know little world are ridiculously well attended you know well, i so I'm, I'm running this thing down in devon um it's it's 50 minutes south of the bottom of the m5 and we've got nearly 40 people signed up to it and it's just i'm astonished you know it, it's you know, I thought we might get 20. Is um, that the first year it's run? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. First time it's run. Right. First time it's okay. been anything anything further than Bristol other than the, the show at um, Paul in Plymouth in January. So it's just a, you know, it's just a two-day ADLG competition. But um, yeah, we've got nearly 40 people coming, I think. Oh, it's fantastic. The town won't know exactly what's going <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Got to get a few more potatoes in, I think. Yes, I think they will, yeah. <laughs> So that's interesting because I know you, the competition scene has started back up, hasn't it? I think you went up to one in York uh, yes, recently. Yes, no, York. Uh, York was the first one. Um, they managed to do that quite early because they did it outside when the rules were slightly different but that was fully subscribed um there's been certainly in adlg there's been a load um the fog sets of people have started doing it dbm started so they're all getting back up to to speed on it and you know numbers are are looking good in all of them i think i don't think there's any that's been smaller than the last time it ran if you know it's actually people wanting to get out and put all these new armies on table you know because you can if you can put a new army on table and, and show off your new toys that's that's actually what it's about yes yeah it's a big part of it isn't it and, and that's great and long may it continue so have you got a busy year coming up then in 2022 you've got your own show there uh, own event at Bricksworth but yeah um, so Brickcon we has been in Manchester for about um 15 years probably now but um unfortunately they're knocking the building down um uh, which makes it a bit awkward so, so the barnes wallace building barnes wallace right. building yeah, yeah. barnes wallace is going to be barnes wallace bombed i think um but then anyone who's been there when um it's been particularly hot and um discovering what um no, air conditionable means <laughs> rather than air conditioned um yeah um we'll, we'll possibly not miss it as much so i've been hunting different unis and we're going to take it to um, the heart of the lead belt to nottingham to um, nottingham trent their campus in the middle of town so i'm just waiting to sort out the paperwork on that and then then put that out there which gives us kind of an interesting cause it's sort of a trade show and competitions um and we normally get a couple of hundred people at it um i saw um uh, rich from tfl um down at selwig and they're keen to do a lardy day as well you know and that could bring another 80 people to it as 
you know, playing soldiers. And, and I suspect we might see you know, bigger numbers and, and see if there's any other historical periods out there that want to come along. So there's a lot more space there. And, and I think that could really see the trade show kind of kick on as well, because it's in the past, it's been an, a nice little trade show, but it's really been there to service the players. Um, but you drop it into the middle of Nottingham and you've got partisan in the spring and partisan in the is it hammerhead in the autumn, or whatever. But there's nothing in the middle of the year um, around about that area. So I think it could actually be kind of, um, you know, we might have lucked out through um, Barnes Wallace failing to be become listed. Um, and a bit more central as well, isn't it? Yeah, much more central. You know, and it's, it's even good for internationals. You know, the, the East Midlands Airport connects to to the place with the metro so it's a really really good new venue um after a, after a while on-site student accommodation you know 45 quid bnb sort of thing um so it's it's a nice thing and i think you know, one of the upsides of the age of the growing of the hobby is that there are more people who are you know retired or semi-retired who've got more time to spend on weekends doing it so you can actually sort of gear you know gear it around that and um yeah lot of lot of positive stuff there for that i think what what date is that then tim that's going to be the the second weekend in um in august so i think a lot of the traders do there's a show in scotland on the first weekend in august and they tend to come they used to come down to manchester but now nottingham i guess a lot of them will actually be local um and stay at home so yeah second weekend in in august and we should get details about that on the bhgs website um as soon as i i sort it out myself brilliant <laughs> thing that i do that's good and any foreign trips for yourself planned as, as have you yeah we've did done you we've, the foreign uh yeah. events <laughs> yeah, really missed that really really missed that that was just such a good thing but but a, a few of us have um planning to go to alicante um in january so the, the spanish um adlg scene's pretty big and um they're running an event down there so you know it's out of season the accommodation is dirt cheap there's budget airlines fly there for 50 quid so you know you can <laughs> you can kind of have flight and two nights accommodation for about 120 pounds that's how much i spend on getting to salute <laughs> exactly yeah that's, that's literally it so you know we'll be in in southern spain and um for a, for a long weekend in um in january and then see kind of where we go from from there but i think you know because there's a lot of stuff in france in in greece in there's some bits and pieces in italy and i do want to try and get over to the states again um this year because i think the last competition i did pre-lockdown was actually cold wars in in the us and i was actually there when the us locked down so i had to kind of flee the country because otherwise i would have been stuck there um but uh, you know that was that was a very weird one on the eve of covid but yeah it'd be good to get back out to some of the big cons in the states as well yeah yeah sounds like uh, things are, are moving apace and uh the the hobby is getting back up to speed then which is great news for all of us i think uh it definitely feels like it definitely whether you're like a competition it. gamer or not in fact one of those weird ones who lives in your own basement with like that yeah. old friend that you don't really like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um tim it's been great speaking to you um Must i've been grand, yeah. I, i've been a, a, a a, a fan uh, from afar for a long time with the content that you put out and when i found the podcast that was uh, that was just nirvana for me really to uh, uh hear you and the other guys on their banter about uh, your own hobby and uh, the, the competitive oh, side yeah, your, your 
you know, we, we can all blow smoke up. Um, but I suppose there's six of us, isn't it? Seven of us. So it's more difficult for you to do the smoke blowing. But, um, but I think, yes, it, no, look, I think podcasts have been brilliant for the hobby. And, and I think, as I said at the beginning, now, now we're in a world in which professional media is not that much different and people are used to accepting this sort of stuff. It's actually really helped with the acceptance of podcasts. So, you know, you do a great job. There's loads. Well, there's so many, so, there is, so yeah, many good podcasts is. out there. And yeah. you know, I think I'd say to anybody, it's, it is, a, it's fun to do it itself, isn't it? You know, you, yeah, yeah. we end up having a, a chat to each other and then you record it, do some editing and, and other people can listen, but just having a chat to other gamers is good. Yeah, and, it is. And doing it by proxy by listening is, is great as well, especially yeah. in these times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always ask two things of any guest that comes onto the show, uh, Tim. Uh, one is relatively easy. The first is relatively easy, and that's that you agree to come on again at some point in the future. Absolutely, I will. I will try and um, I'll try and make up some more stories. Um, <laughs> see which other major religious personalities I can be beaten with in foreign shores and things like that. And um, yeah, no, we'd love to. It's been grand. Definitely. That'd be great. And and the second thing is uh, we have something called the God's Own Scale Virtual Library where I invite guests to deposit a book or maybe two or more books in into the library that are either history or wargaming orientated. Um, I, I did give you some prior warning. I don't always do it, and then I'm uh, holding my breath, hoping somebody can come up with something. But uh, I just wondered if you got something you could uh, put on the shelves for the listeners to yeah. Think about books, out. No, books is um you know obviously everybody's got far too many books and, and whether you read them or not so i um and, and they there's probably the great ones i think I, the podcast on the american civil war you know the, the, those guys talk about some of those brilliant stephen sears books was um was a good one but so i've almost rather than try and pick the one it's kind of which is a recent one that's made an impact on me and um, one of the ones i read quite recently and actually it's not um it's the max hastings book on vietnam now you know max hastings is um he's he's got a style of writing that's very i guess it's populist history but it's bloody good and and he does write with some authority and i i think vietnam is something that everybody has a it's a really odd war in that it's something that people have got a view of the soldiers experience because there's so many films and games and you know uh, all the rest of it we know almost in our bones what the vietnam experience is like um but the bigger picture of it it's just it just happened just too long ago for certainly me i i was just a bit too young to really uh, followed it and you know so you know just these really superficial bits about the big picture um and what the Hastings book does, it's a real big overview of the big picture, but particularly from the politics and the decisions that that got the US sucked into it and how, you know, how it actually ended up being such a, you know, foobar cluster, whatever you want to call it and blink out, that I really felt that, you know, most other wars, you know the framework, but you don't know the soldier's experience, if that makes sense. Whereas this, you know the opposite round. So having that big framework and and just the parallels to, you know, modern day events as well about actually that was just a series of cock-ups and bad decisions and crooked decisions. And it just dread, pe dreadful people acting dreadfully. Um, 
I thought it was really, really good at just teasing all of that out and, and setting it all out. And so it's and it's written by Hastings, so it's very, very readable, and it's got all those little snippets of people. So that yeah, it's not the best book I've ever read, but it's the best one I've read recently that sticks in my mind that I got something out of that that was a bit different. I, I think people, uh, certainly academics, and and maybe uh, some of the more highbrow people than myself, get a bit snooty about Max Hastings. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. But it, it, I think it's a very journalistic style, isn't it? That is readable and accessible, and therefore it's making history accessible. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan, and I've, I've got the Vietnam book, uh, as I've got most of everything yeah, that Hastings has written. Um, but it, yeah, that will sit very comfortably on the God's Own uh, Scale uh, library shelf. Um, it's a great recommendation. Tim, thanks very much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I know we took a little while to get this together. Uh, with yeah, one yeah, of we, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be podcasters if we knew what we were doing and we were like well-planned and stuff, would we? It just wouldn't, wouldn't happen. I would absolutely never claim to know what the hell I'm doing with these things. But uh, uh, the, the good thing for me is um, uh, I, I get to chat to interesting people within the hobby uh, and you fit that category, Tim. So uh, until next time, I thank you for your time and uh, I wish you all the well. No, thank you, sir. And um, we will we will work at um, – I'll try and corral the other boys and girls to get our load of old nonsense going and then um, we can – between us we can just flood the world with audio content so no i'm looking I, I, yeah i'm i'm not entirely sure whether this will be the next edition of your podcast i'm actually looking forward to because normally i do look forward to it but i'm not quite sure whether i look forward to this one but but hopefully it won't be too bad and it's not bored too many people so look thanks for having me on and um, I, I look forward to catching up with you again face to face or online or yeah or something maybe, maybe even face yeah Maybe I'll even see what you look like. It could be a mystery. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll find the video function on Zencaster. I think there might be one. I've not used it yet, but uh, no, I'll, I'll try I think it. you might have to pay extra to that, and then I could probably pay extra to switch it off again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. All the best, okay. and speak soon. All right, catch you soon. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye. From the birth team, winked away, Bobby Hastings was born. With the smile on his lips and his left ten and fifth upon his shoulder, right and gay. As the train moved out, he said, Remember me to all the birds. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, I'm a dear baby, dear from your eye. Though we part to part, I know, I know. I'll be single the death of the don't die, don't die. There's a silver lining in the sky. Oh, ma, oh, thank you, yo, chin, chin, na, boo, too, blue, goodbye. At the concert down at Q, some convalescents dressed in blue. At the here, Lady Lee, who had turned 83, sing all the old, old songs she knew. Then she made a speech and said, I look upon you boys with pride. And for once you've done, I'm going to kiss each one. Then they all grabbed their sticks and cried. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, and the dear baby, dear, from your eye. Though it's hard to part, I know, I know. I'll be, because I guess to go, don't cry, don't die. There's a silver lining in the sky.